Well, hey, we're in this series called The Blessed Life, and it has been an incredible, incredible time in our church. God is moving in people's hearts in a way that I never even hoped or imagined through this series of teaching. I believe that he has more for you. He wants us to grow in understanding so that we can experience all of God's goodness in our lives. So we're going to get ready. We're going to receive this message and it's gonna be good for us. God has a plan for you, and it's to bless your life. God, we thank you for your word. We love you, Jesus. We honor you in this place. We open our hearts to receive the truth from you. We ask that you would speak to us now. Help us to understand you more. Help us to trust you more, and help us to grow to be more like Jesus for your glory. And everyone said, amen, amen. Good to see you. We are in a series uh, called The Blessed Life, and I do want to say welcome to all the churches that are joining us, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. And that's the only passage I'm going to ask you to turn or click to, um, but just however you do it, just go to Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're going to talk this weekend about breaking the spirit of mammon. Breaking the Spirit of Mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N. It's a word that's in the Bible only four times. Uh, Jesus, as we know, only used it three times. One of the times it's in the Bible, it's a repeat. It's in Matthew and Luke, but it's the same sermon. So we're going to look at it in Luke so that we'll see all the times that we know of that Jesus used this word, all right? Luke chapter 16, look at verse 9. Luke 16, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's the first time we see the word. That when you fail, they, I just want you to remember the word they, not it, they, so it's talking about the friends, may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, it's the second time we've seen it, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And then verse 13 is a repeat of the verse in Matthew 6. No servant... No no servant, not one, no person, no person. This is very important to understand this. Uh, Matthew said this way, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that's the third time we see it. And again, that's a repeat from a verse in Matthew 6. It's from the same sermon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, this is the only phrase like this in the Bible that where Jesus contrasts serving God with something as, as, as uh, uh, clearly as he does. You cannot serve. You cannot do it. No one can do this. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, since he said that, we need to know what mammon is. So I have three points for you today. Here's point number one. They're actually all three questions. What is 
mammon. What is mammon? Most people would immediately say money, but, but the answer is so much deeper than that. Uh, mammon is an Aramaic word, which means riches, uh, but it comes from the Syrian God of riches. I don't believe Jesus was simply for referring to riches. I think he was referring to a false God that they knew. The Syrians had a God called Mammon, and it was the God of riches. Now, let me tell you where it came from. It actually came from Babylon. A lot of people don't know where Babylon came from. If you just look at the very first part of it, Babel. Babylon came from the Tower of Babel. That's where Babylon came from. And if you ever want to know what the word Babylon means, just say it a little differently, a little slower, Babylon. You ever know anybody just babble? Okay, never mind. Don't, don't, don't nudge anyone or look at someone right now, you know. But babble means, actually means confusion. You know, someone just talking, you don't ever, you don't even can't follow them. You don't know what to talk about. Babble, the word babble means confusion. When you add the suffix on, on it, it means sown uh, or planted. So the word Babylon means sown in confusion. It started in confusion. The Tower of Babylon, the Tower of Babel, was a system that they believed that they didn't need God. They could get to heaven on their own. Their own energy, their own work could get them high enough to get to heaven. That is what the spirit of mammon is, that we don't need God if we have riches and money. It is a spirit that contrasts itself with the spirit of God. It is a, an arrogant, prideful spirit that tries to replace God. When you think about this, it's, Jesus said you, you can't serve God and mammon. In other words, mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule in your life. Mammon wants you to look to it instead of God. And here's the problem. Many of us actually grew up looking to mammon, and we didn't even know it. And, and Jesus makes this statement. You can't serve both, and he, he says, you will be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, I want you to think about this. There's a message today that that's we, we call the prosperity message. It's basically give and you'll get, give and you'll get, and, and you know, God wants to, to bless everyone with lots of money and a Mercedes and a Rolex, and uh, the problem with that message is that it actually works selfishness and greed into your life instead of out of your life. And the problem with that is it's a mammon message. And here's the problem. You become loyal to that. Now, here's what happens. When people buy into the prosperity message, what happens then is that when something breaks or something goes wrong in their life financially, they despise God. They get mad at God. And here's the reason they get mad at God or despise God, because they're loyal to mammon. Jesus said, if you're loyal to mammon, you'll despise God. Mammon wants to take God's place. Mammon actually promises us everything that only God can give us. You think about it. Mammon promises us identity, security, significance, uh, happiness, Joy, all these things only God can give. Listen, only God can give peace, love, and joy. Only God. 
Mammon can't. Mammon can never deliver on its promise. Mammon wants to rule. You can't serve God and mammon. I'll tell you something that might shock you about mammon. Mammon is the spirit of Antichrist. And I'll prove it to you by a very simple verse that all of you know, but it's shocking how many people never put this together. The spirit of Antichrist does not rule through the threat of nuclear war. The spirit of Antichrist rules through the threat of not being able to buy and sell. That's mammon. If you don't bow to me, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to provide for your family. See, it's a contrast. All through, all, all through our lives, mammon is trying to get you to bow to mammon, serve mammon, worship mammon, and Jesus is saying, no, God is the only one that can provide everything you need. God is the only one that can provide identity and security and peace and happiness and joy and love. Only God can. But mammon says he can. Mammon will say, you know, if you had more money, people will listen to you. Significance. If you had more money, if you had the right credit cards, if you had the right clothes, if you had the right car, if you had the right house, if you had more money, you'd be happier. If you had more money, um, you, 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 you'd have a better marriage. If you had more money, here, here's the big lie. If you had more money, you could help more people. Listen to me very carefully. Money doesn't help people. God helps people. But notice the contrast. See the contrast? Money, okay. Look, look, here. Jesus never told anyone that he needed more money. Never did a leper, never did a lame man, never did a blind man say, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus turned around and say, oh, you just need more money. Not once. And I'll tell you again how it contrasts. Just, just to show you how we've all been influenced by the spirit of mammon. We've all had this thinking at some point or another. I either need God to come through or I need someone to give me some money. And if someone would give me some money, I'm okay, God. My problem's been solved. I don't, I don't need you because I got money. Are, are, are you following me? I can remember one time my, um, I borrowed my dad's boat uh, when we were, when our family was younger. We have a boat now, but when our family was younger, uh, my dad had a boat, never used it. I think he kept it just for us, you know, for the kids to use. And I'm grateful for that. But he got a brand new boat. I borrowed it. We're on vacation. Something started beeping. Uh, the beeping bothered me, so I got up under the dash and pulled the wire out. <clears throat> This is something you do when you're young and stupid. It was trying to tell me something. It was trying to tell me that it was low on oil. But I kept driving, and we burned the motor up. Brand new motor. $4,000. I said to my dad, Dad, um, I'm, 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 this is my responsibility, and I'm going to take care of this. I, I will figure out a way to take care of this. And I said, this is my problem. I'll take care of it. And you know what my dad said to me? Son, you've never had a problem. I will never forget this conversation as long as I live. I said, what do you mean? He said, son, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. 
And if money can't fix it, God can. He was telling me right then, it's, money's not the answer to your problems. Son, God is always the answer to your problems. So that's mammon. Mammon is this spirit that tries to influence us. Here's question number two. Is money evil? Is money evil? Because Jesus said unrighteous mammon. Well, what he's talking about is a spirit. It's a spirit. I, let me just say again, mammon is a spirit. <laughs> uh, if, if mammon's not a spirit, how come it can talk? Because you, 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 try, you start to give an offering, and I'll bet you'll hear voices. <laughs> Mammon is a spirit that rests on money. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Can I tell you this? All money has a spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God on it, or it has the spirit of mammon on it. All the money in your account right now either has God's spirit on it or the spirit of mammon. And the way you get God's spirit on it, according to Scripture, is you give the first 10% to the house of God, and God redeems the rest out from under the spirit of this world, which is the spirit of mammon. Why would you want the spirit of mammon on, on your money? So money money's not evil. Money's neutral. You can do good with money, you can do bad with money. People say, well, but the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. It's not what it says. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, in other words, they got under the spirit of mammon, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here, here's what I think he's saying. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Now, look at this verse because it's strange the way it reads, and a lot of us don't understand it. Verse 9 says, And I say to you, this is Jesus talking, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Okay, I have to admit to you, when I first read that as a new believer, I totally misunderstood. It's, you know, I'm thinking of unrighteous mammon as just money, not, not a God or a spirit of greed. And, and I, so it said, make friends with money. That's what I thought it meant. So I thought it meant, you know, do uh, favors for other people, and then when you're in trouble, they'll, they'll do something for you. You know, that's what I thought. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, take this unrighteous mammon and redeem it by giving the first to the house of God and use this, use the money that Satan uses for evil. You use it for good and you use it to build the kingdom of God and people will get saved. They will become your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says, when you fail, this word fail means die, it means when you die. When you expire physically. Listen, and when you die, they, these people who've come to Christ because you gave to the kingdom, listen, will welcome you into your eternal home. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In other words, there are going to be people in heaven that welcome me that say, I'm here because you gave. I know that a missionary came and brought the gospel to us, but I found out, because when heaven said we're going to know things, I found out there were 47 people that supported that missionary, and you're one of the 47, and if you hadn't supported that missionary, I wouldn't be in the kingdom today. 
That, that's what he's talking about. See, God is the only one who can take unrighteous mammon and turn it into souls. True riches. That's what true riches are. Um, when I first got saved, um, if you remember, Debbie and I were married before I got saved. And um, when I got saved, I wanted to witness, but I just, just, just couldn't quite do it and, and was shy, if you can believe that. <laughs> And um, so uh, I got over it, but I, got, I was shy. And uh, so I remember when I found tracks. Now, I don't know how many of you remember tracks. How many of you remember tracks? Tracks were like little books that shared the gospel story. And I thought, so that came out of drugs. So I thought, this is cool, because tracks used to be when the policeman said, okay, roll your sleeve up. And, And I thought, wow, I don't know who came with the name of Tracks. Must have been an ex-addict, but I, that's great. That's great. Going to share the gospel through Tracks, you know. So, so anyway, so I would get these Tracks, and I'd leave them on tables when we would eat. You know, I'd leave the tip inside. But nobody ever said anything. And so I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm just not leaving a big enough tip. And so I talked to Debbie about it. We prayed about it. We saved up. We did not have enough to do this. We left a $50 bill in a track one time. Our meal might have been $10, you know and a $50 tip with the track. We go back to that restaurant a few weeks later, and this uh, lady that waited on us came up, and she said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I read that little book, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she said, and I called my husband and read it to him over the phone, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I got so excited, but I remember her, her wording struck me kind of oddly. I said, what do you mean you called your husband? I mean, was he at work or was he at home? And she put her head down, and she said, He's in prison. Can I tell you something? I'm going to meet that guy one day. And he's going to say thank you for the $50 tip. Because I got saved because of that. By the way, a few years later, he got out of prison. And Debbie and I had the honor of, of seeing him and his wife get baptized. Simply because of that. See, what I'm trying to tell you... I'm trying to tell you is that God can actually take our money and turn it into souls. It is amazing. You can give to the church and God can turn it into souls. It's phenomenal. So money is not evil. Here's the third thing. Question, what should I do with my money? What should I do with money? What should I do with money? Uh, well, let me just give you an answer is be a good steward with what you have. Just be a good steward with what you have. Now, here's what some of you might be thinking. Uh, Pastor, I have too little of this unrighteous mammon to be concerned with this message. If I had more, then I would probably be taking notes and listening very intently, but this just isn't, isn't really helping me, okay? Now listen to me lovingly. If that's your way of thinking, that I have too little to be concerned with this that Jesus taught. Listen, if that's your way of thinking, you never will have any more. Uh, verse 10 says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Please hear me. If you have a little and you don't tithe, 
You'll never have much. What God does is we all start out with a little, and he sees if he, if he can trust us. And if he can trust us, he gives us more, and he gives us more, and he gives us more, until we get to the level where we can be a blessing to our family and be a blessing to others, whatever that amount would be. But if, 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 if you're not faithful with a little, you're never going to have much. Uh, verse 12 says, And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, there are a lot of applications for this, but I just want to give you one application, possible application. Remember, we've talked for a couple of weeks now about the tithe, and I know God owns it all, but according to Scripture, He's reserved the tithe. He said, it is mine. It belongs to me. I've set it apart. Don't touch it. If you take it, it's stolen. It's consecrated. It's holy. It's set apart to the Lord. Okay. If you've not been faithful in what's another man, who will give you what is your own? Is it possible that one application of this verse could be, if you're not faithful with the 10%, who will give you the 90? If you're not faithful with the tithe, which belongs to the Lord, who's going to give you more? Please hear me. This is so important for us to understand. It's, it's like I said last weekend, God's testing us. A few weekends ago, two weeks ago, God's testing us to see what we're going to do with the first 10%. And then look at verse 11. This is the last scripture we're going to look at. It says, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Okay. Well, what, what are true riches? Well, I can tell you, it's real simple. True riches are people. Uh, if you looked around this room, whatever room you're sitting in, whatever campus or church you're attending, listen to me. You look around this room, you're seeing the only things going to last for eternity. Not the bodies, the souls. Souls, they're the only things going to last. When I was in college, we had this guy, he's kind of radical, you know, and, uh, uh, and he just had this little saying, it's going to burn We would drive by like a really nice house, and you know, we were in college, we'd say, look at that house. He'd say, it's going to burn. <laughs> well, he was right. I mean, it's all going to burn. Heaven earth's going to be destroyed. I understand that. <laughs> but it really is true. It's all going to burn, except for souls. Souls last forever. Yeah. Let me say it another way. Heaven is being populated, and hell is being plundered by our offerings. That's why it's so important for me to give and why I see it as a spiritual act because when I give, people are getting saved. God is taking what was unrighteous mammon. I've redeemed it by giving the first to him, and then as I give offerings, he's turning it into True riches. True riches are people. Um, when Ethan, my son-in-law, and Elaine, my daughter, started dating, uh, Ethan came to me and talked to me first, and I set up guidelines, you know, for him. And, uh, and because I wanted to see if he'd honor me. Here, here's the reason. If he wouldn't honor me, he wouldn't honor her. That's for some of the young men here. 
And so I, we tried, brought him in, we talked, also showed him my gun collection, by the way. Uh, but, um, but I gave him some rules to follow and some things, you know, and then after a few months, and he did it. He did everything right. He did everything right. He did everything I told him to do. So after a few months, I gave him the, the, uh, the okay to start dating. And so one night there at seven, our young adult group, and they're standing around talking with a group of young adults afterwards, and they were talking about what it would be like to date the pastor's daughter, you know? And it's Ethan and Elaine and seven or eight other young adults, you know? And uh, it was funny because uh, one of them said to Elaine, you know, your dad is so strict on tithing. I'll bet he checks the tithing records of the guys that want to date you. <laughs> and Elaine said, he does. And when she said that, Ethan went, uh-oh. <laughs> and Elaine said, what are you saying? You, you told me you tithed. You told me you tithed. What are you, what are you, what are you saying uh-oh for? And Ethan said, well, there was one time I was one day late. <laughs> and he explained to her, you know, uh, she said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I would always do my tithe. I'd get paid on Friday. So at work, I would go online and do my tithe because I didn't have internet at home. Uh, because it costs so much, and he's a real good steward. And so, said, I didn't have internet at home, so I would always do it at work on Friday when I got paid. But one Friday, I didn't go to work. I didn't have to work that Friday. I had to work Saturday, so I did it on Saturday. But I've always regretted that my tithe wasn't, you know, every Friday, that it was one day late. And they got to laughing, and they said, oh, to Elaine, they said, your dad's not going to notice that. And Elaine said, yes, he will. <laughs> So they said, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? So she came home that night. And she said, hey, Dad, uh, did you check uh, Ethan's tithing record? I said, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> she said, well, was everything okay? I said, there was one time he was one day late. <laughs> and the next time we meet, I'm going to ask him about it. By the way. <laughs> Kevin, why, why wouldn't I check the tithing record? of a young man that wants to date my daughter. Let me say it another way. Why would I give my daughter to a thief? If he can't even handle money, I mean, he definitely can't handle Elaine because <laughs> Elaine is a handful. <laughs> He's not gonna be able to handle her if he can't handle dollars and cents. But let me say it another way. She's my only daughter. She's priceless. Why would I give true riches to someone that can't handle unrighteous mammon? Can't even handle money. Well, let me say it another way. Why would the Heavenly Father? who has all power to bless you. Why would he bless you when you don't steward what you already have? All right, isn't that great? Amen. You know, after uh, one of the services this morning, uh, a man came up to me and he said, Pastor Ryan, I want to talk to you. I've been upset with you these last few weeks. This service starts, and you start talking about money, and I'm like, here we go. But then the things the guy says, the things you say, it's pretty good. But I'm still wrestling with this, and 
I don't know how I feel about it. And I want you to know, I love what that guy said. I love that he shared this so honestly with me. And, and he said, he was a good guy. And, and the thing I want him to understand, the thing I want you to understand is there are some people that hear these conversations about finances and they wrestle with it. And if you ever find yourself feeling upset when a subject like this comes up, you're upset because your spirit is wrestling with your flesh. Your spirit is saying, let's do this. Let's give to God. Let's trust him. Let's put him first in everything, including our finances. He's so good. We can trust him. He already saved us from sin. Of course, he can provide for our needs. And your flesh is like, get your hands off my money. We can't trust that preacher up there talking about money. I told this gentleman who had this conversation with me, I was like, you know, this is for your sake. I said, I don't get like a bigger paycheck the week if the offering is higher. He's like, you don't? I'm like, you didn't know that? I was like, it's the same. I get the same pay every week. This is for your sake. God wants you to be blessed. Okay. So as you learn these principles, some of you have never learned any of these principles before. You didn't grow up in a household where you were taught about putting God first in your finances and how that redeems your finances from the curse of sin and brings God, God's blessing into your life. This is for your benefit and God wants to bless you. And if you ever find yourself wrestling with this, it's because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. The, the spirit the part of you which has been reborn through Christ, made new again, that part of you is like, let's do this. And your flesh, your flesh is the part of you that, well, it's like saying, no, that's mine, and we can't trust, and we won't have enough, and we got to worry about ourselves. So you, you know who's going to win in that, in that wrestling match? Whoever you help. Whoever you decide to help. If you talk yourself into it, you can talk yourself into it. If you tell yourself, man, we can't do this. This will never work for us. It's going to be really hard. But if you start to speak truth into your life and, re and remind yourself of the promises of God and what the actual Bible says, the God whom we as Christians profess to love and trust, you'll win. You'll win that struggle and you'll be blessed. I want to handle a couple of practical matters as we have this conversation. And one of the things I've come to realize is that many people have a lot of real practical questions when it comes to the subject of tithing. Now, over the last few weeks, as we've been doing this series, I can estimate at this point that hundreds of people have began to tithe. Either people or families, they've begun this process. And it has been blowing my mind. This is something that only the Holy Spirit could do inside of us. But as this process has begun for a lot of people, they're asking me a lot of questions. So I'm going to answer the top 10 most frequently asked questions that I get as a pastor. Maybe some of these will help you. Okay, so here's number one. Uh, should I tithe, or how should I tithe, and, and how often should I tithe? That's a question uh, that, that I get in terms of the first of the month, every paycheck, how does that look? And the answer is, I think that you should tithe every time you get paid. So whatever that frequency is for you, every week, twice a month, every other week, whatever, the first thing you should do is bring God the first fruits, the first 10%. Now, listen, if you get paid a salary, so it's the same amount every time, I highly, highly recommend you set up automated giving online. Just preset it, make it a part of your plan, and say, hey, it's already established. If I forget, it's still going to happen. I'm so grateful because I'm a forgetful person. There's 
There was a time uh, a few months ago, I'm pretty responsible. I like to think I'm responsible. But a few months ago, I was trying to call my wife and I couldn't get the call to go through. And I realized that I had forgotten to pay my cell phone bill for like two months and they actually shut off my cell phone service. I'm like, you guys can't do this to me. Like, I'm a pastor. Come on. I just forgot. And so I'm okay if that happens to Verizon. They'll forgive me. But I don't want to forget about God. He is so much more important. If you don't get paid a salaried amount, but maybe hourly, and it's different every paycheck, so you're not really able to maybe set up automated giving, then I would say set a reminder in your phone, put it on the calendar so that you don't forget. Make it a planned part of your schedule. God is first every time. It happens right away. Second question, should I tithe pre-tax based on my gross income or post-tax based on my net income? Now, as a pastor, I only really like to say definitively what the Bible says. And so the Bible, which was written thousands of years ago, doesn't necessarily incorporate every element of our modern day tax system and the world that we live in. And there's not a verse in the Bible that says pre-tax, post-tax. Um, and I think you can make an argument for either way. And so what I would say, my opinion, is I think it could be either. I think it could be either before or after taxes. For most people, that's not that big of a difference. And if you start tithing on your net pay, then you can make it a goal to start there and try to work your way up to tithing on your gross pay. But whatever God puts on your heart, do that. And you need to make sure that your mindset isn't, well, I'm trying to figure out the smallest amount that I need to give God, okay? If that's your mindset, and come on, we all know that that could be a reality, you should check yourself, okay? And if you're like, oh no, I accidentally tithe too much, you'll never outgive God. You'll never accidentally bring God too much. He will always outbless you. So you never have to fear accidentally giving too much. Third question Is it okay if I give part of my tithe to other ministries or other people in need? Common question. The answer is no, it's not okay. The Bible says in Malachi chapter three, God says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there may be food in my house. So it's not my money, it's God's money. Therefore, it's not my place to designate where it goes. It would be like if I borrowed $100 from you and you were like, hey man, pay me back the $100. And I said, okay, I'll pay you back. But how about instead of giving it all to you, I'm gonna give some to that homeless guy and some to your kids and some to your wife, buy yourself something nice and then I'll give you what's left. You'd be like, no, 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 thanks for that. But it's mine, right? It's not your place to put it where you want. Bring it back to me. And it's the same with God. The tithe goes to our local church. So if this is your local church, it goes here. If you're watching online, you can't bring yourself to church. Maybe you're stuck at home dealing with a sickness. But if this is your local church, you can give online here. If you ever move away and find a new church, bring your tithe to that church. If that's your local church, it goes there. And then if God leads you to give above and beyond that tithe, to some other ministry or directly to a missionary or to some good charity, then do that. That's called giving an offering. It's voluntarily above and beyond according to your own free will as God leads you. But your tithe belongs to God and it goes to the local church. People ask this, should I tithe on a bonus? Yes, that is just income that you receive. Okay, another question. Should I tithe on an inheritance? The answer is yes, that's an increase. It increases your net worth. So I believe you should tithe on that. It's gonna depend on the form of inheritance you receive. You know, if you, in, if you inherit a house, 
You can't cut off one-tenth of the house and bring that to church on Sunday. So you might have to wait a while until you sell it or work out that part of your business. People ask, should I tithe on things like Social Security or child support or disability? And I would say, yes, anything that is income, that is income. So whoever it comes from, you still bring God the first portion. Um, what if I own my own business? That's a question I get. Should I tithe on the whole contract of the money I receive or what? You should tithe on the increase, or another way to say that is the profit. So not necessarily the whole amount, but after you deduct expenses, what's left over, that's the increase, the net, the profit, that's what you tithe on. If it's a larger business and you have many employees, whatever you pay yourself, that's what you tithe on, okay? Here's another question. Uh, and this has to do with um, husbands and wives and marriage. And I, I actually get this question fairly often. What if I want to tithe, but my spouse won't let me or doesn't want to? Uh, specifically, what if I want to tithe, and I want to talk to the ladies first, but my husband doesn't want to do it? I get that question quite a bit. So maybe a, a woman who is saved and follows Jesus has a husband who doesn't, or maybe he is just immature in his faith or new to faith. How should she handle that? I tell her this. It's okay to go to your husband and have a conversation. It's okay to have a debate with him. It's okay to say, you need to get on my church's website and watch this Blessed Life series and let God speak to his heart. It's okay to pray with him. It's okay to encourage him. Come on, we can do it. You might encourage him like my wife has encouraged me. Come on, we can do it. We can trust God for more. But at the end of the day, if he says, no, we're not doing that, then I don't believe that God wants this to be an issue of division in your marriage. So you need to submit to your husband and honor him as the leader of your family, and God will bless you for honoring him. If you're a husband and you want to tithe, but your wife does not want to, not as common, but that also comes up. I would tell you that God says you are the leader of your family, so lead your family. You say, babe, we're, we're going to do it God's way. Like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to put food on the table, but regardless of what I can do, God is our provider and he will provide for all of our needs. We can trust him and we're going to do this. So lead the way. Here's a question. How can I teach my kids to tithe? Great question. I'm glad you asked. I would recommend a three jar system. Get three jars, three literal jars. The first 10% of all the money they get, have them put it in the tithe jar and teach them this money goes to the Lord. We're bringing it to church. The second 10%, have them put it in a savings jar. Teach them how to save. And the last 80% gets to go in the spend it jar, right? And you're going to teach them from a young age. This is how we handle money. We tithe first, we save second, we live on the rest. And then do this. Parents, sometime take your kids and show them as you tithe. Whether you're writing a check or giving online, say, come here. Once they're old enough to understand, come here. I want you to see what I'm doing. I'm, right now, I'm bringing my tithe to God. Why do I do this? I'm doing this because Jesus has given his life for me and saved me and rescued me from sin and death. So I gladly bring him the first 10%. And this is something that our family loves to do. And when you get older, you're going to get to tithe when you get money too. So show them that. Number 10, I get asked, what if I made a mistake and I tithe the wrong amount or too little? I had a person ask me about this last week and, and she was concerned deeply. And I would tell you and remind you that our God is a God 
of love, mercy, and grace. So he has grace for us even in our weakness. His mercy extends even to our mistakes. He doesn't kick us out of his family when we fall. He continues to love us and encourage us along the way. Um, a couple of years ago, there was this moment when I realized I set up my automatic giving wrong and I left it like the wrong way for multiple months and I found out it accidentally had been set a little too low. So. I was like kind of shocked when I realized, oh no, I haven't been bringing the proper tithe. And in that moment, I felt like I need to make it up. And I went back and I got that money and I pulled it and I made it up, right? But I don't think everyone can always do that. And God doesn't want you feeling like you're in debt to him. But once you know the right way, then do it the right way from that point forward and trust God. Hey, he's gonna lead me into this process of obedience. Listen, tithing brings blessings into our life, okay? So whenever we step out in faith and obey God, faith and obedience, always leads to blessing. Now, one of the ways that God blesses us when we tithe is that he teaches us contentment. I'm getting into the practical blessings that come from tithing right now. I'm not talking about magical money appearing in your mailbox. I'm talking about practical, systematic blessings that God has worked out and preordained that you would experience as you practice the principle of tithing. You will learn the concept of contentment. I've experienced this many Christians who realize if I'm going to give 10%, I'm going to have to cut something out of my budget. Something's got to go. Hulu's got to go. Ice cream's got to go. It doesn't matter whatever it is. Right. And you know what they say? I made a cut. I made a sacrifice. And I realized later, I looked around, I was like, you know what? I didn't need all that stuff. I didn't need that payment and that subscription, and I didn't need to eat out that many times. I realize I'm good with what I have. We Americans are not very good at being content, are we? We are very good at spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. And that's why so many Americans live in debt. And this debt causes stress. You know, Proverbs says that the borrower is slave to the lender. God wants to teach us contentment, and one of the ways that he does that is through tithing. You'll start to find that I experience more satisfaction through obeying God than I do through buying stuff. So bringing God the first 10% and obeying him by bringing my tithe, that brings me more satisfaction than buying more stuff. People like to buy stuff thinking, well, that'll make me feel better since my life isn't always going the way I want it to. But you'll learn contentment through tithing. You'll experience God's blessing in that way in your life. You'll actually then be able to, he, if I cut a few more things out, um, I could cut that out and I could actually save some money. I could save. You know, Americans, as rich as we are as a nation, 40% of Americans could not handle a $400 emergency. And that's because we're not that good at living within our means. But God teaches us to live on less than we make through tithing. And that also sets us up to be able to save. And do you think that God can bless you through saving? Yeah, I think he can. That's an incredible blessing. I'm so excited for our church as many people have begun this journey to tithe. Um, this is so powerful. And if you have begun this journey, you are going to be shocked at what God is going to do in your life. You know that Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You don't give your money to the things you love. Jesus said, he said, you give your money and you start to love the things that you invest in. That's why you love your kids so much because those are expensive kids. 
is. You paid a lot of money for those braces, for those clothes, for those doctor's appointments. You're like, I got to take care of that baby. She cost me a lot of money. When you start to bring your tithe to Jesus, listen, you will begin to love him more. You're saying, Ryan, you're telling me I'm going to love Jesus more because I start tithing? Yes, you will love him more. You won't be able to help it. And as you love him more, you're going to find yourself naturally drawn closer to him. And the closer you get to him, you won't be able to help this, but you'll start to become more and more like him. And the more like him you become, well, you're going to be experiencing a lot of blessings in your life. You're going to become a better employee, a better business owner, a better worker. You're going to start to get promoted because people are going to see something in you that they didn't see before. You're going to become a better husband and a better wife, and your spouse is going to start to like you more because you know why? Jesus is attractive and very likable. You're becoming more like Jesus now. They're going to say, I like you even more than when I married you. You're going to start to fight less in your marriage because your finances have finally been put in the proper order. As you bring your tithe to the house of God, your local church, you're going to start to love your church more. You're like, I already love my church so much, but you can love it even more when you start. And as you start to love it more, you're going to be like, you know what? I want to be there more. I want to go all the time. And listen, it's true. When you come into the house of the Lord on a regular basis, again, you won't be able to help yourself but growing in spiritual maturity. As you grow in spiritual maturity, other parts of your life are going to fall into order and you're going to be blessed. Do you see how this all plays out? As you come to the house of the Lord on a regular basis, your kids are going to learn that God is more important than football, that God is more important than club sports, that he's a priority. They're going to grow up healthier and happier in a home that puts God first. As you bring your tithes to God, God will use that to teach you not to be self-centered and selfish. That's one of the things he does. As you become less selfish and put other things first, which is God, God first in your finances, man, people are going to let, you're going to have better friendships. Man, that guy, he, he is great. God is going to bless your life in so many ways. It's incredible how this works. And I think it's all unlocked from tithing. It's why God said, do this, do this, test me, because he wants the best for you. You know that our God, the creator of heaven and earth, does not need anything from you. He wants the best for you. And that's why he sent Jesus for you to die on the cross. That's why he gives us truth in his word, because he wants you to be blessed. There's a reason that in the New Testament, the same Greek word that's used and we translate it as blessed, is also used and translated as happy. You want to live a happy life? Do it God's way. Do it God's way and watch him bless you. Watch him bring joy and satisfaction into your life. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and is just as relevant for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. You are a good father in heaven and you want our best. You have our best interest in mind. And so, Lord, I thank you that as we submit to you and trust you, God, you lead us into salvation. You lead us into favor. You lead us into peace that surpasses understanding. So, Lord, as we put you first in this area of our lives and our finances, I pray that our faith would grow, that it would build, and we would discover that your promises are still true for us today. You're a good God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Come on. God bless you.